Good morning and a happy hump day to you folks. It is Wednesday, January 27th, and today, as we are on the tip of the hump of the week and we're on our way down, let's be grateful for challenges today. Now, as strange as that might sound, challenges have a way to push you and push us to become better as people, as individuals. It helps hone our skills. So be grateful for the challenges you face, knowing that they will force you to become better and prepare for the future. All right, now let's get this humpity hump day started, folks. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. My name is Jason Spees. That is Sterling. We are the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Boy, we've got a really busy show today, Sterling. Yeah. Oh, boy, is it busy. just waking up. We got got a call coming in here any minute now. And J.P. Warren with Capital Petroleum Consultants. Also, he does a podcast, Round the Rotary Podcast. And I can't wait to hear about how that got started. There's some... uh, He's nice. the one that does the drinking, right? High-end. High-end bottles high of... End bourbon. Yep. Very high good job to separate himself from the other podcasts out there. Plus, we have our Super Bowl board, bing, and bing, bing, that's bing, pretty bing. much filled up by now. Did you know in the first 18 hours that we advertised the Super Bowl squares for the Super Bowl numbers crude life game? We don't have a name for it. Oh, yeah, we do. The crude life Super Bowl I'm not numbers. I'm sure which Super Bowl this is. It's 55, 56. LV. I was LV. There'd be no math. Roman numerals. Oh, yeah, I know. Roman numerals. No, know your movies. Oh, man. Know your movies. <laughs> anyway, 44 in the first 18 hours. Just on our social media channels. Nice. Just posting it out there. Hey, we want to do this. Boom. 44 emails. In the first 18 hours. So that tells me, attention. well, that means that we got to start giving away free stuff. Yeah, what is, <laughs> do, we, that, do we know what that is yet? I, I think that's that's what hooked them was yeah, the, free, the stuff. free stuff. But it was nice to see that we had that many. And they're still coming in, by the way, too. So we have that going. And that is at studio at thecrudelife.com. Studio at thecrudelife.com. Our sponsor today, Blackwater Environmental. Let me just go ahead and tell you a little bit about Blackwater Environmental. That's a great name. Family-owned company. They're very morally oriented. That's why I was going to say family-oriented company because uh, they got great family values there. They're a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience offering inspections, consulting, coding failure analysis, specification wiring, and coding application services for oil, gas, energy, and municipality. You got it. Municipality. Anyways, Aaron Jordan and the good people over at Blackwater Environmental. Man, I had to like get my... (laughs) It's like stretching. Oh, your, it's uh, one of those mornings, man. I got to get some coffee in me. And anyways, they're out of Gillette, Wyoming. They're our sponsor of the day, Blackwater Environmental. Thank you very much. Of course, the links are available at the website, thecrudelife.com, plus our show page. Now, coming up on the Crude Life Daily Update radio on the podcast, Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group to talk a little ESG. That's our daily radio update here we put on the podcast. 
And then also, Texas Railroad Commissioner Christy Craddock, she's the chairwoman, will be joining us in the second half of the hour. That I'm sorry, second half of the show. That is the play hard portion. Also, Kathleen Skama, the president of the Western Energy Alliance. It's, it's a stacked show, man. I mean, I'm trying to get everything in because I know we got a call coming pretty soon, and we got the Super Bowl board, and we've got some big, important guests. I mean, you can't get much bigger. No, I'm loving it. In oil and gas than the Texas Railroad Commissioner, the chairwoman herself, Christy Craddock, in the second portion of the show. And then we've got Kathleen Skama. But right now, it looks like J.P. Warren, Round the Rotary, and Capital Petroleum Consultants calling in here. Get to that in just a second. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. This is the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Busy morning today. Let's get to it. He's got to change his ways of thinking. He's got to grab a hold of the one he loves. And I drowned in sorrows in drinking. best intentions on your mind the crude life play hard work hard is sponsored in part by if you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them swan energy wants to talk to you today give them a call at 866-539-0860 that's 866-539-0860 Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases, and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest if you're interested in sustainable forests growing industry jobs check out the industrialforest.com that's the industrialforest.com play hard work hard now let's play hard Welcome back to the Crude Live Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. And joining us on our Swan Energy phone line, we've got J.P. Warren, Capital Petroleum Consultants. How you doing, sir? I am doing great today. How you two guys doing today? Doing oh, awesome. pretty good. And that's Sterling, who you just met not even 30 seconds ago before we jumped on the air here. And That's why I love it. I love it. I love not knowing someone and getting on air and just having a, a, a down-to-earth, real conversation. So I'm ready for this. Absolutely. I'm excited. Well, I'm going to let you two go loose here in just a second. But first, we, I, we should probably set the table and let the audience know who everybody is here very quickly. So, JP, talk about your company and your podcast as well and what you guys are doing in the oil and gas world. Okay. All right. Well, uh 
my name is JP Warren, as uh, Jason introduced me. I am uh, the vice president of uh, sales and marketing or business development marketing or whatever you want to call it these days at uh, Capital Petroleum Consultants. We do uh, project engineering and uh, well site supervision for drilling, completions, frac, PNA. At this name of the game, we'll babysit if 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 that comes uh, if that comes up as a need. Um, and I'm a host of a, a, a oil and gas podcast uh, uh, called Round the Rotary. And in reality, there's there's no goal of it. Uh, there's a lot of technical podcasts out there. There's a lot of market data podcasts out there. This is uh, the podcast that I I host. Kind of, uh, it's one of those things where I'm trying to bring the personality behind the position. So. It's just kind of off the script, shoot the bull, uh, talk about whatever's on our mind, and uh, really get to know the person a little bit more. So uh, just trying to tr- trying to have some way to, to shrink the oil field a little bit during times like this when no one's getting out, and also just trying to just hear stories and trying to trying to talk about you know how how can we be industry advocates um, uh, to uh, for our industry uh, for those on the outside or that may not know about uh, the oil and gas industry. Not to put you on the spot, but is there any stories or people or bottles of booze that uh, that you remember? Well, well <laughs> oh no, so, Sterling does it. So no, his his thing. They bring bottles of booze I by. Are you telling me? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, let me get a little background on that. Start <laughs> off with a, and I call them, I call them frustumers. They're friends. That's the best part of our industry. You know what I mean? Like we get to work with our friends, and I call the, my friends that are customers frustumers. So I had a a, a frustumer, you know, during COVID. I had him on the podcast, Tyler Schultz with a, a, a Ventive, and he's like, "Yeah, I've been I've been doing woodworking." I was like, "What do you mean you're doing woodwork?" And so he he showed me all these things that he's taking all these old bourbon uh, barrels and kind of creating all this stuff. So he built this barrel bourbon shelf um, for the for the office. And since then, the podcast has kind of taken on a little uh, bourbon trail on its own. Where now we got guests coming in, bringing on this these. And honestly, I don't ask for them, but I'm not going to complain. No. Okay. Uh, so they're like bringing in these great bottles, and they're just kind of just bringing it there. And I haven't signed the bottle, so you know, w- w- you know, should people come in and when they're not there, they can say, "Oh, wow, you know, Weather 12, you know, Danny Stunkert, I know that guy." And so it's kind of a marketing thing, but uh, it's a tasty marketing what, thing. Uh, you know, I'm not complaining. I, I kind of like the avenue it's going. It's kind of uh, now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm, I'm thinking about getting a couple of customers on and doing a bourbon tasting and just kind of just kind of seeing where that goes. But um, I'll tell you one thing: there's been a lot of good, a lot of great stories, and I can't really pinpoint a story just because some of the people that I've never met before, we'll sit down for ten minutes before we start going live, and we'll start, or not live when we start recording it, and just the stories is just like uh, it's it's just always it, it always shocks me because everyone has a story. And uh, I'll tell you one thing. I've really enjoyed listening to David Rams and Wood when I had him on. I had, him on. I had uh, Kate Hyken on, the drill manager for Aventive. She had a great story. A lot, I've had a lot of people on with a lot of – I mean, everyone's got a great story. So that's kind of uh, – as far as one for sticks out, I think you'd have to go in and check them out yourself. Very good then. And how can people access your podcast yeah, can, I mean, they can get it any uh, – so it's on uh, any streaming platform, uh, Apple, Spotify. Okay. We've got a YouTube channel. We've been filming, uh, we've been filming it uh, so you can get a video. Uh, we've got an Instagram page and uh, actually started a little Round the Rotary meme page as well that kind of deals with the whole field as well. So it's uh, on Instagram as well. So just be kind of trying to hit up every little avenue and just trying to create some positive uh, content uh, for our industry these days. But yeah, I mean, honestly, if people, I mean, they can always reach out to me uh, 
personally and just try to find out, you know, how to uh, talk to either get in contact with the guest or maybe if they want to come on the show as well. Do you guys um, do you guys have any of the barley pops during the during the recordings or is that before and oh, after yeah. or? Ah, come on. I mean, here's the deal. If it's after 2:30 p.m. and someone's bringing a bottle, I mean, I feel like it's it's I feel like it's a culture ins- a cu- cultural insult if you don't have a little bit. Yeah, you're you know just what I mean? being a so, good host. Yeah, it's just being a good host. Yeah. I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to go to your place with a nice bottle of wine if you invite me over for dinner and we're not going to crack it? <laughs> so it's uh no, I mean if it's if it's a morning show, yes, we'll do coffee. But if it's an afternoon show and the, and the, the guest wants to have a, a cocktail or two, hey, that's that's kind of when the when it starts flowing. Well, it sounds like such a great way to break the ice, you know, and to really just oh, kind of yeah. relax and talk. So my mentor, oh, my, my one of my radio mentors back in the day, uh, he actually had. Do you remember Duffy's Bar in in Fargo, Sterling? Oh yeah. So D- Duffy's Bar is like the original dive bar totally that still has one dollar drinks, you know, high high shelf, a buck fifty drinks, yeah, you know, I think that type still a dirt floor, and dirt floor it, yeah. type thing. But oh, best jukebox in town. In fact, I think that jukebox finally got auctioned on eBay for like twenty grand or wow. something like. Anyways, but so uh, they had a drink there named after th- this guy, and it was uh, two shots of vanilla Stoli. A shot of Bailey's and a shot of uh, Kahlua. Wow. Oh, man, that'll get your bull running on a Saturday yeah. morning. I'll tell you one thing. I don't even think you had to describe Duffy's. If you just said, Duffy's is the bar, what does it look like? I would have <laughs> pictured exactly how you described it. Yeah, you get a picture right out, you know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it was one of those bars that uh, just very smartly took pride in being craptastic, and they always were the star of the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Let me tell you that, man. I mean, they, people were, were camping out there at Duffy's. Well, dollar and, shots. And, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's just yeah, on well, Tuesday. What, what, what are you going to do? If, 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 if it works, don't, don't fix it. You don't have to bring a new lighting. You bring a gastro bistro feel to it. Keep it simple, stupid. What's your favorite drink, by the way? Just, just uh, let's let's talk a little alcohol for a minute here. Let's okay. let's, let's well, play okay, hard. Well, that's why I thought well, I'd bring up that coffee drink. Yeah, that's a, see, that's a tough question because what's the setting? I mean, if I'm going out to have a steak, uh, uh, you know, a steak with a uh, with some customers, some customers, I'm going to start off with a martini, a vodka martini, up with a twist. And if I'm doing a a, a podcast, if I want to kind of sit around talk with uh, some friends, I'm going to do a, just a bourbon, and. Um, I'll, I'll, hey, I'll even get fancy. Maybe do an old fashioned. Nice. I like old fashions, yeah. actually. I do. Yeah, um, I dig them. I mean, wine too. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to knock wine. I went to Fredericksburg uh, three <laughs> times, twice, so I feel like I know everything about wine now. <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm a wine <laughs> snob. Yeah, I, I enjoy a good wine. Yeah. I think the worst. I think the worst is actually it's not the worst. It's actually the funniest. Is when like whenever you go to dinner with someone who just went to uh, like Napa like five months ago. And they were like, oh, no, I'll get the wine list. And they're like, oh, this is a really good bottle. We toured here. The tenants are delicious. It's like, dude, just order a glass. Just like, don't walk me through your tour. Just yeah. get a bottle and let's go. It's like being shown someone's slides, you know, <laughs> of yeah. their vacation. Yeah, it's, it's like someone telling your dream. Hey, look, unless I'm in it, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm, it tastes like boons. That's always popular <laughs> to say, too. Yeah. Mm, uh, like a red. Has, has anybody um, gotten too tipsy to talk during your podcast at all i mean that'd no, be fun no 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 <laughs> we've, done, we've done we've done some after hours podcasts well, of course where, you, know, you gotta wake up the next morning and you, you'll get a text message <laughs> like hey man uh, i don't think we should be airing that a lot of a <laughs> lot of slurred words a lot of a lot of banter going on and uh that's not 
let's go, let's put that on the let's put that in the box set whenever it's like released. Yeah, released from the vault. Well, I, I used exactly. to do a, I used to do a night show from seven to ten at night, and we would have bands come by, and so between the bands and between happy hours, and I'll tell you, I don't think I had a sober guest between that seven and ten o'clock coming oh, and going. Best, you get the best banter out of that though. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, they got a little inhibitions down and let it flow and all kinds of stuff. And and at night though, what I loved is that I could spend a little time with them. Like, because during the day when I did some radio during the day, you were lucky if you could get a two minute interview in, and all of a sudden, commercial weather news on to the next. At night, we didn't have any advertisers, so hey, buddy, you got to talk for uh, forty seven straight minutes. Go what? <laughs> oh, okay. That's that's how I got my my, my sea legs, I guess. But well, uh, go ahead. Well, well, I've noticed too, I've noticed too. It's like you know, people come on the pod. It might be their first podcast, maybe the second or even third one, and they're still nervous. You know what I mean? And at the same time. I tell them that, man, I've had, I have 65 that have been released. I still get nervous before I do this. You know what I mean? So if they have a, a glass or two of wine or a, a bourbon in front of them, makes them feel a little more comfortable, little, feels a little more loose, go ahead, by all means. Is there anybody from uh, companies that they're, you know, maybe their employer is, is not too happy with it, uh, either before or maybe afterwards? Is, uh, have you run across no. anything like that? Okay. No, 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 no. There's, uh, no. So there's been, so for example, um, if I'm bringing on a, a, a customer that's, you know, an operator, a lot of people right now in this, I guess, industry right now we're dealing with are very, very hesitant to come on the show and to, to, to speak to, I guess, their career and all that stuff. But I always tell them, I always say, hey, look, get it cleared. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to ask you any questions about your company because, number one, I don't care what your company is doing on this podcast. You know what I mean? That's, that's not the goal of this podcast. The podcast is to get to know you not what your company's doing. If someone wants to know what your company's doing, there's other ways to figure that out, you know? So there's been a lot of hesitations, and I've had to, like, coax a couple people say, hey, look, like, trust me, let's just do it, and if, and if you're still not comfortable with it, then we don't have to air it. But that being said, I will not ask any company-specific questions. And it's actually, there's been some people that the company's been kind of hesitant on it, but once they, I guess, once they've seen the previous guest and once they hear the recording, they, man, it's, it's, they're, fi- they're, they're fine with it. They're fine with it. Yeah, and you're going to always have some that do and some that don't. I, I get all that, uh, d- definitely. Um, that's good to see if some are coming around, though. Um, I well, personally, well, I was going to say, per- per- personally, I, I wish more would because, you know, when you started talking, you were talking about what, what I call the rare albino elk sighting, meaning a lot of these guys are not very accessible right now, and I think it's the worst time to not be accessible. Yeah. It, I, I think right now you should, if you're an operator, you should be sending as many people out to as many podcasts as possible and try to get a uniform message out there in so many different ways rather than turtle up and hide. I think, right? I, personally, that's just my opinion. No, Jason, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to agree with you completely. I think during times like this, I mean, whether you're an operator, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're a recruiter, it doesn't matter what, what, what role you have in our industry right now or the energy, energy sector right now. I think there's a lot of companies that are viewing this new wave of uh, media, whether it's uh, uh, memes or whether it's uh, 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 animated uh, graphics on LinkedIn or whether it's podcasts. You have a lot of these old school thinking of, oh, no, that's not it. that's not what we used to do. I'm nervous about having someone go on there. But the thing is, though, I feel that companies need to start understanding that this is the way of the future. This is how you get exposure. This is how you tell your company's story 
or your employee story. And it's and it's the and it's and it's the rawest way to do it. I think too that you know with with Instagram with with memes with the social media stuff where you're really trying to reach the younger audience that's going to impact the industry going forward, right? And you know, as an outsider, I look in and and see that there's just not really any good advocates for the oil and gas community, and particularly when we're starting to to look at the restrictions and the regulations that are probably going to be coming down the pipe. You know, social governance, all these other things. I just don't feel like there there seems to be a real concentrated effort to reach out and educate, rather than just bash back. You know, I, but the, but but there should but there should be that dialogue. Absolutely. You know what I mean? There, there, I mean, there there has to be the realization is people are getting their news. I mean, first off, I don't trust the news. I don't like the news. Okay, I don't care what any either news channel. I mean, I'll get my information. For, I, a majority of people that I've spoken to get their information from podcasts. Yeah. So I, I completely agree with you. There shouldn't be that pushback. And actually, it should be like, hey, look, if you go on a podcast, you can't talk about what we're doing Q3, Q4. You can't talk about that. But other than that, tell your story because, to me, companies invest in their people, and they have their people there for a reason. And that's the stories. That's the company personality that is going to get out there and connect listeners and viewers. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that, that doesn't seem to get enough attention is the stories, like you say, behind – all of the people, you know, from people in sales, from people, uh, operators, from drivers, I mean, all across the industry, they've got families, they've got stories, they've got lifestyles, you know, that they're trying to maintain. And uh, I think it's it's real easy to sort of vilify the idea of oil and gas. But, you know, if we can if we can show the people behind it, I think that exactly. would go a long way towards educating people. Exactly. How, how, how are we going to have, how are we going to win, quote, these arguments about oil and gas being bad and renewals you're not going to win that unless you tell unless you tie the people behind it because we we can't be such a rigid industry you know we we're we are a people industry and that's what we should be focused on and telling in my opinion well you go ahead and take a look at the crude life for the past 10 years that's been our business model to humanize the industry and that's one of the oh, reasons yeah, why we love having you on here is because you you get that it's there's there's a certain value to humanizing the industry because that's that, that's actually what the opposition has done is they've they've taken they've taken an inanimate object and humanized it and when you look at roads and and bears under scientific research and all these different things they give names to them for a reason when they want funding because they want to humanize it. Like, if, if you've got a highway and it's named after Theodore Roosevelt, that's going to get funding probably up till the very end over, you know, 84th Street or something yes. like that. So uh, we're going to take a brief pause, by the way. We come back. Sterling and JP are going to swap some Saudi stories. Weren't you in Saudi Arabia, JP, or something like that? Oh, that's right. So, all right, we're going to take a brief pause. We come back. It's swapping Saudi stories right here on uh, Play Hard, Work Hard. Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. 
is sponsored in part by... If you have natural gas leases and are looking to sell them, Swan Energy wants to talk to you today. Give them a call at 866-539-0860. That's 866-539-0860. Swan Energy is buying up natural gas leases and they may buy yours too. Give them a call today. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. All right, welcome back to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. All right, everybody get their bathroom break in, get their stretching in. Sterling, you got yours? Got my coffee. All right, JP, you still on with us? Oh, I'm still here. All right, good thing. All right. Who knows what's in our coffees these mornings, but what the heck. We haven't, you made it, man. It's so. not time to work hard. By the way, coming up uh, in the second hour, we got Railroad Commissioner, Texas Railroad Commissioner Christy Craddock. She's the chairman, by the way. And we've also got Kathleen Skama, the president of the Western Energy Alliance. So pretty good work hard portion as well. So you folks might want to stick around and listen to what the Texas Railroad Commissioner, the chairman, has to say, as well as um, Kathleen Skama about some of the Western stuff. Out West, you know, they've got some real problems with this uh, uh, federal lease ban because so much of their land is on there. Um, so much oil and gas production is on federal land out in the western part of the United States. So it's not like Texas or North Dakota where it's like 90-some percent private. Yeah, there's no federal lands in Texas. Yeah, it's all private, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, how long did you spend in Saudi Arabia, or what was your uh, dealings in Saudi Arabia, JP? All right, so I was at a uh, company called Noble Drilling uh, for a while, and after the, uh, the Macondo incident happened, I, was, I got pulled back on shore. And uh, through a college uh, buddy, Scott Keller, uh, he asked me to pretty much go over to Saudi Arabia to be the, uh, and it sounds, okay, it sounds super important. So let me just say how important it sounds, okay? <laughs> I was country manager of Saudi Arabia, all right, at 30 years old, right? Wow. That sounds important, right? Yeah. Well, when you have, when you have what, seven people reporting to you, it's not that important, but hey, no one has to know that, okay? <laughs> but, uh. So I went over that. There. That may be the coolest title. Yeah, that is. I've heard in a long time. I was all I could think of is that when we do the shell company, we're making a shell company, by the way. Um, I, I want that you title. Want that title? Yes, okay. I want that title. Country. Man, that's going to play well at the bars. Where Anyways. were you based oh, out of? I was based out of Al Oh no, kidding! Oh, oh yeah. Where were you at? Well, I grew up in Dahran. Did you? Okay, so I lived at uh, the Al Khabar uh, Mall. Oh my gosh! Wow, I yeah, it, it must be the yeah okay. It was the one that they built, I think, twenty so years ago. It was the new mall. It has got yeah, apartments right, or right something. Yeah, right next to a there's Carrefour in there and all that. Yep, yep. yep oh wow. Yep, right net, right, right about about two miles away from the, the Dama Mall. Oh wow! How long were you over there, and when when did you go? 
Now's over there probably for about a year, year and a half. So I went over there to, to, to kind of find a local, um, a local Saudi replacement. Yeah. And again, it was supposed to be a four month stint turned into like a year, year and a half. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know where you want to get kicked off of stories, but I mean, I thought it was enjoyable. I really did. Uh, it yeah. was, it was fun. It was interesting. It was awesome being exposed to that culture. Made some great friends. Great, made some great Saudi friends. People from Lebanon. Like, it was just a good time. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it's been over. It's probably been about twenty years since I was back there because my folks worked uh, for Aramco for, uh, gosh, twenty five years or so. So did you? Did you grow up on the Aramco complex? I did. Yeah, from from the time I was in second grade until I was about sixteen, living there, and then I went back. Nice. You know, a couple of years. But Kobar, you know, Al Kobar was a place where you know I constantly went. We would go down to the Gold Souk. We would go down. Uh, you know, the, the different Thai places, good Indian food, street shawarmas. Some of the best food in the world. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's funny because in the years since, I've tried to replicate the shawarma. And I best I can tell is it had something to do with the air pollution there, <laughs> you know, and all of the Freon from the ACs. Again, this was back in the 80s. So things have probably changed. But yeah, it was, it was a great place, a great people. There was a... You know, there was a you're living in a totally different environment than this country. Um, you know, in terms of freedoms and and women driving and that type of stuff. But man, yeah, just it's such a wild place. It was it was a really really great experience. It's nice to talk to someone else that was there. Well, the food. I mean, first off, get past the food. The food is right. phenomenal. I mean, it yeah. was like it was pretty much. I it's like you go to these like you go to these places that remind me of Duffy's. Okay, like right. these, like. <laughs> These like hole in the walls, but yep. you get some of the best. You get some of the best Pakistani. Honestly, this Pakistani food I had was Budukat was the best I've ever had in my life, uh, yeah. and I've never had Pakistani food since, just because I can't find it. But not only that, I mean, you get it in your car and you drive. It. First off, driving there is like a video. Yeah, like, it, no rules. Yep. Like if you can just beat people and it's it's Grand Theft fast. Auto, man. It really is. It's Thunderdome. It really is. It's Grand Theft Auto Habibi. Style. <laughs> I love it. So. You do that, you go get your meal, you pay for your meal, you go fill up on gas. I mean, over there, you know, it was back when I was burning heaters, you go pick up, and it's like, you can do all of that in the afternoon for like $7. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was amazing. It was insane. Yeah, I, growing up there too, I remember the cost of filling up my dad's truck, and I think it was like, it ended up being like three or four bucks, and this was like for a, you know, 40-gallon Jimmy, you know? but oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, we had we used to go. We used to have. I used to have friends that used to go over to uh, Bahrain, or as they say over there, Bahrain. Bahrain. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know. I always say it properly now, just to show that I've lived over there. You know, like people, <laughs> like people from San Antonio, Texas, calling like tequila, tequila, but um, or enchiladas. So uh, enchilada. What was the food so like? Used, okay, so you guys really like oh, the food, right? Yeah. So obviously, the, there was goat. Right. Well, you know, a lot of oh, what, yeah, what JP's was, uh, talking about. I went about. to a couple of weddings where they were actually cooked camel. Yeah, but, I, mean, I, was, I was gonna ask if it was camel. Yeah, did you go to a a, a goat grab basically? Or uh, <laughs> I, didn't go, I didn't. I didn't go to a goat. I went to a wedding. Oh uh, man, a wedding over there. Actually, that's a lot of food. I, I've been to one or two. Uh, was it like? Um, did they do? Was it like on the beach or tented or was it? No, it okay. was like you walked in a hotel. It was like five hundred dudes because like, the girls don't celebrate with you. It was like five hundred dudes. You're just sitting there drinking tea, eating figs, and then you go feast on like feast on a camel. Yeah, there's not a lot of strip clubs there, but you know that's why the Causeway was built to Bahrain, I think, so you could cruise over there and, and get easy alcohol. <laughs> feast on a camel. Oh, yeah, and, the, and, the, and the, no, and it was a good time. I had a blast doing it. I yeah. mean, it was it was fun with being in this different culture, meeting all these great people, and uh, I had a blast. I mean, I'm making fun of it just because you know I got the you know 
my blinders on, but yeah. uh, I remember I had friends that they, him and his wife used to go over to Bahrain, and she had this fake uh, belly, this fake pregnancy belly. And she'd put in, like, bacon, and, like, she'd smuggle in, like, tequila, and like, pork, <laughs> and she'd smuggle it in. I was like, aren't you worried that you're going to get caught? And uh, they were like, you know, no, because, you know, she's a woman. They're not going to, you know. But anyway, long story short, they did that for about a year. And the last time they, they did that, oh. it turns out she was pregnant. She's like, well, I mean, I'm doing this for a year, man. And now, and now I guess uh, I guess it came to fruition. I'm pregnant now. So I guess so the yes, lesson now. there is if you smuggle pork and alcohol, you can get pregnant. Yeah. Easily. Yes. That's on the warning labels. Yes. <laughs> eating, eating bacon will make you pregnant. Caution. All I can think of is the old... Uh, Jane's addiction video is from the nineties. Got got stealing. Yeah, that's oh, the one. I hear stealing. Here, I thought Sterling would be the one to know it. And you, look at you. You can know it. Jane's oh, addiction. I'm an, yeah. I'm an 80s baby. Whether it's 80 horror, 80 horror movies, 80s rock and roll, that's that's my go-to. Oh yeah, that's cool. So how how many how long were you over there? I'm sorry, did you say? I was over there for I think a year, a little bit over a year. Okay. Stuff like that, and I, and it's like nothing to do besides eat and go to work. I mean, I was I, went, I was on the softball team on the Aramco compound, which is a great time, and our team was called Crude Units, which I thought was great. Nice, <laughs> that's cool that you actually got to go on the compound too. Then because there's oh yeah yeah a little bit of western slice, nice pools and places to hang out. I remember I remember walking. So I lived in the mall, and the only thing to do is do. Pretty much, you power walk the mall. That's yeah. the only thing to do if you have nothing going. There's no movies, so I just power walk the mall, and I would hang out with some Saudi friends. And, you know, these girls would walk by, you know, full garbed up. They're like, "Oh man, you check her out." I was like, "No, I, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't like, see what, what she is." Like, what, yeah, what do you what do you see that I don't teach me? The ninja. Well, you know, I, I remember a, I remember a friend, uh, a Saudi friend of mine, growing up, and I asked him once, you know, kind of ignorant American boy. I'm like, "How do you tell?" Who's your mom in a crowd, you know, full of these women with, with head to toe abayas. And uh, he said, it's usually the toes, you know, cause most of them would be wearing sandals. And so they'd be able to tell by the henna or the jewelry or, you know, be able to know his mom by her toes. <laughs> well, I got, well, I got one more story, but I'm not sure if it's safe. I think it's safe. I'm going to make it safe. Okay. Uh, nah, yeah. Okay. I'll go with it. Whatever. Right. Can yeah, I please. It? I mean, you already told us about the pork smuggling, so. Well, that's, it's kind of a little more adult in the pork smuggling. Uh, right. I'm sitting there across the table talking to my buddy and uh, who's, you know, local. And he's like, hey, man, I would love to go to, you know, America. You know, what city is this where the guys pick up the girls in the van and they say they're going to go to the beach, but they end up, you know, making love to them and they drop them off at random places. I was like, I'm thinking, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is a well-known pornography site called Bang Bus. I was like, oh, you mean Bang He's like, yes, what city is that? I was like, dude. <laughs> I was like, you know that's fake, right? Was, and you should see his face. He like oh. kicked him in the gut. He's like, what? Oh. Like, yeah, you know that's fake. He goes, oh, man, what are you going to tell next? That milf hunter's fake? I was like, oh, bro, yes. <laughs> you just crushed the poor man's dreams, you know? That's Yeah, but you know but you know what? You know, people are always like, oh, Saudi this, that. Look, I, I'm not here to talk about it, but it's like, you got to understand, these people 70 years ago, this country 70 years ago was – it was completely different than it than, than it was brought pretty much thrust into the 21st century after World War II. You know, so give it time, give it time to catch up. And I mean, for the if people are concerned about you know whatever, but it's just it's it's, it's still kind of relatively new country figuring it out. So you just got to go with it with kind of an open mind and kind of an open 
perception. I, I, I don't know. I agree. I, I look at it as because, you know, for me, I like to follow a lot of different sporting events, and the different events have, have made their mark in Saudi. And what I've seen over the past probably five, ten years is progress. That's all. I've, I've just seen oh, yeah. humanitarian progress. And for me, I, I just I have a hard time cracking a whip harder sometimes when progress is being made. You know what I mean? Because yeah. so, sometimes you have a negative effect if you crack yeah, too many you, times. You, you, can't, you can't compare it to your U.S. standards of no. life, your viewpoints. It's a different country, different, different environment. So, Well, you know, and if, just if, as I was uh, just starting to, to leave there and not really get a chance to go back was when cell phones were starting to get widely uh, dispersed in the kingdom. And I knew that was going to change things because you would see boys in the mall on one side of the mall and girls on the other side of the mall and they're both on their little phones you know so oh yeah and they're, th- and they're texting each other exactly they're they're finding a way to break down those barriers and i think just in the last 20 years like jason was saying is we're seeing we're definitely seeing progress it's uh you know hopefully it continues but yeah and actually now i could even go back you know before it wasn't something i could but now i could get a visa and return yeah. and visit so it- it's a push pull. It's, it's, yeah, it's a exactly. Push from, it's a push from the older generation. It's a pull from the younger generation. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is so cool. It's really nice to talk to somebody about uh, some shared experiences over there, and it gives you a whole different perspective on the world. I found. Oh, I miss I miss my buddies over there. Yeah. Miss, miss the food over there. <laughs> totally. <laughs> hey, before we let you get on with your day, uh, what do you make about um, this uh, climate change? And the and the whole I guess uh, image when it comes to oil and gas and, and the climate change nexus as they seem to be squaring off again. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's a, a that's a heavy that's question a before, at the end. Before I get off the okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, an elevator. So, so what? What's the question again? What's the what's the about? <laughs> okay, how about this? Here, here's here's a question I asked someone. So it's it's same question, mm-hmm. just phrased differently. Okay. President Joe Biden came out and said he was going to ban, I'm sorry, uh, candidate Joe Biden came out and said he was going to ban oil and gas. Candidate Joe Biden came out shortly after that and said we're going to transition. Okay, so he showed that there was an acknowledgement he's, he, he realizes he can't ban oil and gas, right? But he rattled the sabers, definitely. He ends up winning president. So with that context, President Joe Biden comes out and signs an executive order to put a suspension on federal leases. Now, my question is, that seemed like an opportunity for President Biden to extend an olive branch to the oil and gas industry and come out and not sign any executive orders that would kill jobs or uh, create controversy. Rather, if he would have just kicked a can and said, you know, we're going to transition. We're going to take a look at some more studies. We're going to look at some different things along those lines. Did Joe Biden miss an opportunity to extend an olive branch to the oil and gas industry by putting up a middle finger? Well, here's the deal. I mean, uh, when it comes to now, that's a loaded so much, question. Okay. No, no. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much behind. There, there's so much behind that question because I mean, it comes across. I mean, so let me let me back up. I've never met one person in the oil and gas industry that is against renewable energy. Okay, I've never met one person that thinks it's stupid. We live in this bipartisan world that creates us versus them. Fossil fuels versus renewables, this versus that. Do I think Biden coming in and immediately switching? I think he switched all over. I think he also signed something about all uh, uh, 
government cars will be electric. Um, this yeah, year the whole federal like fleet. Yeah. So look, so look, uh, look, I'm down for that. I don't look, that's fine. Okay. But at the end of the day, if the technology isn't here, we can't turn that switch on and be like, okay, well, let's just run this off of the, the technology isn't here to make that switch that everyone that doesn't understand where energy comes from, comes from, you know, where cheap, affordable energy comes from is there. Okay. So if we're not there yet with technology, then it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a, let's stop this. Let's stop it. Look, we've been hit hard enough in the oil and gas industry. Okay. And then have a new president come in and ban uh, uh, permits offshore and on federal, you know, offshore is federal, whatever for, you know, 60 days. I mean, you're just, you're just making it more stressful when you are putting people out of work. You know, people that had permits before in New Mexico now can't access their sites and all that stuff. So I don't know. I mean, this whole fossil fuels versus renewable, it's not a versus. I mean, we, we coexist already. Um, that being said, they're doing a better job of writing the narrative on its fluffier and nicer and better for the environment, which, in fact, reality, it's not. But we're not going to win any ar- arguments or conversations using facts like that. That's why being an industry advocate, Jason, what you guys are doing, certainly what you guys are doing, is such an important job to tell our story. It's like, hey, look. We're not against renewables. We're not against this. We're not against that. But at the same time, you can't be foolish and expect oil and gas to shut down tomorrow and all these thousands of people just go find jobs in job land. You know, that's not that's not the case right there. No, our not country, to, not to mention the our fact country. That- well, our country, I heard something uh, interesting um, on a podcast I did with Drew Limbacher. He mentioned that oil and gas, how we are able to provide such affordable energy to the to glo- to you know, the global environment out there. We increase the energy poverty of a lot of places and look if you want to switch everything that's fine look at the problems california is having right now with their system look at i mean you still have i mean we provide a necessary energy to the world out there and that's and that's what we need to be talking about and and how we impact communities and i'm not talking about these you know chevron going out there and building schools we need to take it down to the, to a personal approach how how is only gas help you've seen it help others or help families i think you start telling those stories then the whole anti-oil and gas movement or anti-fossil movement will hopefully uh rescind a little bit and there'll be more understanding more conversations versus this you know you know such like north face saying you know all that bs oh yeah yeah and bullark yeah should mention i got a couple emails in we're expecting president biden to extend the uh, the suspension for a year on the federal leases by probably the end of the program here uh, sometime well, this morning. Well, then, if, if that's the case, then let's, I mean, I read it, David Rams and Wood. Let's take a pause. Let's, let's, let's honestly, if that's the case, let's shut down. Let's, uh, I'm not, I'm being very facetious. I'm not. No, I'm not. Let's, no, no, I'm glad you brought that up because let's I. See, let's see how, let's see how unnecessary oil and gas industry is. So, right? let's, J- let's play this game. JP, I'm serious about this. I, this is something we've talked about before. And this is, if, if you're going to bring it up, then now's the time because I've, I've been waiting for the right opportunity to, to bring this up. Is I really think the industry should organize a three day, a three day strike this summer. Uh, Not during the winter because we don't want anybody to be in any harm's way, but people can get shade very easily but if there was a three-day strike top to bottom and then anybody who works in the oil and gas industry from the cafe owner to the ceo to the trucker to you and me baby if we did it for three days i'd like to i'd i would love to know 
what the talk shows would talk about. I would love to know what President Biden would come out and say if everybody in the oil and gas industry came out and said, you know what, we're going to take three days off. And you know we'll just see what happens. Well, not much. You know what, Jason? I'm, I'm going to raise you one because I think the conversations after those three days will be people saying, oh, this is exactly why we need renewables. This is exactly why we got to switch to renewables or tomorrow. Or they're called to nationalize well, so, it. So you extend that. I'll tell you, double that. Double it to six days. And then let's see what people are saying. Okay, we're, look, you can you can be against us all you want and all stuff, but at the end of the I don't know. Look, you talk. I, I don't know. It, they wouldn't allow one day. They wouldn't allow one day. I mean, they, I might have the Secret Service showing up in my house just bringing this up. I mean, this we would what, this would shut down the economy. It would shut saw, down the economy. Is this would be worse than a run on banks? That, look what happened in Colorado. And the natural gas leak happened, and the entire city shut down. And these you know pipeline workers came in there and fixed the issue. I mean, these people were were that heat and power in the dead of winter, you know, and it's like. Well, you rely on natural gas, so let's stop, you know, kicking it in the junk every time, every shot you get. I sure know a lot of people who just had a year off on the government dime while a lot of oil and gas workers were working, getting demonized. Boy, I am tell you what, a three-day vacation for the oil and gas workers <laughs> sure might be nice in July. It might I mean, be. I, I, no, I, I, you know what? Honestly, it, it sounds it sounds kind of crazy what uh, what you're saying, what David Rains was saying, but I kind of agree with it, you know? I, well, I think it's... Here's what you hope happens, is that enough public discussion happens on the media, on The View, on Oprah, whoever the new Oprah is today, is that there's enough discussion about the importance of oil and gas that the strike never happens. That's what you hope happens. But I think you might be right. I think they might say, you know what, just let them do it, and then you know what, when they're done, we'll just make it good. We'll just we'll we'll make it permanent. Try to nationalize <laughs> it. Well, I'll, t- I'll, nope. I'll, t- I'll tell you what then. Let's redu- let's let's bring in an economics professor to the president to <laughs> Biden, and so we understand supply and demand. The okay. <laughs> so once once gas gets up to six dollars a gallon, once heating bills go through the roof, then let's have that conversation. Should mention at this point, Texas Railroad Commissioner Chairman Christy Craddock is going to be on the program next next hour. Probably her last time going to be on the program after she listens to the to this talk. No, go ahead, guys. I think I think I love me some uh, Texas Railroad Commission. I think what we're, you know, we're. I think what JP's saying makes more sense. I, you know, the idea of a strike, you know, what maybe instead of that, what about putting together some information that looks at what that impact would be. Um, but if you really want to get people, I think to internalize how we use oil and gas beyond what I put in my tank and how I heat my home is how petroleum products are in every part of our everyday life. Um, that's something I learned growing up in Saudi Arabia. They had an oil museum there in Dahran, you know, and, and they would take us through that. And you learned a little bit about the types of products that came out of petroleum, plastics and other types of derivatives, I guess. And so you talk about removing that stuff. It's like, okay, you don't want that cool jacket that's rated to negative 30. You don't want vinyl siding. You don't want insulation. I mean, you know what? You know, it's a great idea. Honestly, what if, what if us as an industry put together kind of like a, a walkthrough 
hands-on, and then I'm just shooting from the hip here, museum, exactly what you're saying, Sterling. This is what a home looks like without any uh, petroleum-based products. Yeah. Boring. It would basically look like something from the 1800s. No, but it's boring. The kid, they already do that. The kids don't connect with it. Um, They they, They made an impact on me. They tried that in North Dakota with a bike. They had a a bike without petroleum products, and it was just a rusty frame, Mm -hmm. right? And um, the person who was trying to explain it to is more of a lecture actually and you can see the kids turn their eyes and roll their eyes and keep they don't want to learn they want to have fun people like visual well, aids well what about if we did a concert oil fest okay frack fest that's what i'm talking about where freedom juice usa baby nice. bring in a bunch of bands bring in kid rock bring in whoever else that's going to connect with the kids yeah. do, doing educational stuff they don't want that no way man well, well you, i think well, you could do both I'm, Go ahead. All right, you guys, go ahead. Certainly, go ahead. I was just going to say with with that idea, you know, is the, you, I saw this really this really good picture that took a look at what happens if we lose bees, right? Because there's been a problem yeah. with bee colony collapse, and it showed basically a produce department in a Walmart as it is today, and as it would be if we didn't have bees pollinating things. And it's essentially you've got corn and citrus left, right? So I, I think something similar could be done with oil and gas derivatives is a picture of a house and or people and the stuff that we associate with every day, including our phones, and then a picture of what we would be able to have without oil and gas. JP, do you got any connections down in Houston? Actually, I hope so. Uh, I, got, I, got a, I got a couple connections. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys and anybody listening the million-dollar idea right now, okay? All right. All right. Sterling, you ready for this? Yeah, okay, we're Okay, we're, we're way over on time. Um, it's a reality show. You grab six people. I don't care. You grab a couple of hippies, a couple of environmentalists, maybe a couple oil and gas. I don't care. You grab six people and you make them live without fossil fuels for a week or a month or whatever it is that, that now you're talking, people are going to watch people have to admit they miss it. Well, have, Jay, go Jay, ahead. Jay, JP. I, I think that's a great, I, I just have two more points. First off, what you're doing and what the crew life is doing and what all, every person, the majority of people I meet in the oil and gas industry are, envir- are environmentalists. You know, that's, that's the thing. It's, we do care about the environment. I, don't, I think the conversations need to be framed versus like, versus you need us, you need us, you need mm-hmm. us. Ver- I think it needs to kind of gradually change to like, hey, we all need us. You know what I mean? Like, we are a part of this group. We are a part of the community. We, yeah. are, we are a part of America. Exactly. It's not a, it's not an us versus you mentality. We're it, a part of this community. Exactly. And an integral part of it. I mean, it's like, you know, we, yeah. you hear there's generally a lot of positivity towards truckers, towards people that uh, drive the trains, that move the freight. You know, there's sort of a, you know, kind of a respect. Maybe it's even sort of a romantic idea of, you know, being one of those people yourself. Yeah. But we don't seem to extend that same courtesy to the people that help make sure that this negative six degrees outside right now, that I'm not freezing to death because of it. And that I can live almost anywhere in the world now because we can control the environment. That's the thing. We don't want to have the, we don't want to have a bully conversation. Yeah. Where you need us. You need us get used to it without, oil. we need to have a conversation. Say, hey, look, we are stewards of the environment. Whether you like it, like it or not, whether a machine's big, bulky and loud and noisy, we're still suits in the environment, whether you like it or not, and we are part of this community. Well, I can tell you that is why we are such big proponents of the industrial forest, because at the end of the day, what it does is it brings industry and environment together 
so that people can plant together, they can get to know each other, barbecue together, and have fellowship. That's really the idea behind it is, is more of an inclusive kumbaya fest, if you will. I mean, we do need a kumbaya fest every now and then. Yeah, instead I'm of it. yeah, that's that's what we're all about. But hey, man, thanks for joining the yeah, program here today and uh, being such a valuable member here this morning. Uh, go ahead and give yourself a plug again for your company and your podcast. Again, then, if uh, anyone's listening out there, first off, thank you for tuning in. Uh, second off, uh, if you have any uh, uh, quite, uh, requests for any project engineering, drilling completions, frac uh, PNA. Or uh, need some of the best well site supervisors out there, you can reach out to Capital Petroleum Consultants. And uh, if not, if you get on that aspect, tune into Around the Rotary. Uh, we'll reach just kind of shoot the bull uh, off script, no no agenda, on uh, and find that on any uh, podcast streaming platform. All right, that was JP Warren on our Swan Energy full lines that is sterling my name is jason speece we'll be back in just a moment or two here on the play hard work hard podcast morning show some falls down now it's pixie dust i carry what i need baby you i can trust i carry a note in the pocket of life and a pencil and erase by my Crude Life with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be, united as one. And that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices, the solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf and on top of that you know you would get a nice increase in pay as i'm sure most of us all know when you move to oil field areas you get a, a nice little bump in pay after him and i having five margaritas over at the cork and pig i called my boyfriend and i was like hey do you want to move to texas and he was like yeah when when are we moving <laughs> and honestly we moved about a month after that this oil and gas industry i've met some of the best people i've ever met in my life doing this Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Well, good day to you, friends and listeners. We've got a guest in the house. Well, on the phone talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm very excited to finally get to talk with you. Why don't we go ahead and start with letting people know who you are and what it is that you do. So I am the chairman of the Railroad Commission right now, and the Railroad Commission is based in Texas. It doesn't do railroads anymore, though. We are the oil and gas regulator, in fact, the oldest oil and gas regulator in the entire country and in the entire world. 
We always say OPEC is based on us as far as their price controls and other things they do. And so I've been at the commission starting my ninth year. There are three of us elected statewide in Texas as commissioners, and I'm now the longest serving, I wouldn't say oldest, but the longest serving member on the commission as we're as we're brought up it right now. And I'm the chairman. The chairmanship rotates amongst the three of us. And this is my third time to be chairman. And uh, I'm happy to do so. I think we've got one of the best agencies in the entire state. And frankly, probably one of the best agencies in the entire country when you talk about oil and gas regulations. So thought for just a second, I'd tell you, because we do have a funny name and it's a historical name. Always tell people in Texas, nobody knows who we are, but most everybody else in the country and in the world does. And so we are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities uh, lines wow. in Texas. So we have a lot of and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a sixth. It's an important part of what goes on in the state and safety is is really important, obviously, to all of us. Uh, we do gas utilities, like I said, and gas utility rates and safety in, in Texas. We also do coal and coal mines. People forget we do have coal mines or lignite mines. And I also are not the West Virginia dig down deep in the ground, but they're strip mines in Texas. So that is an important part of our economy as well as our electricity grid in any given day in Texas is roughly 30% is coal based today. And we also have the other couple of quirky things that people don't realize that we do in Texas. We do have some geothermal. We're the geothermal world in Texas permitting and haven't done one in a few years, but we've had several companies looking for looking at that opportunity, particularly in South Texas. We also have uranium mines in Texas and South Texas. And so we have new exploration that comes through the Railroad Commission. And the last thing that's on, I think, everybody's conversation bucket right now has to do with carbon. And we are in carbon capture. We have had carbon capture rules in our world in Texas. And we're one of the first states to have them, period, since 2003. So we are ready already do carbon capture in Texas and are using it in our oil fields uh, for EOR enhanced oil recovery. Um, so we, and we've been doing that since 2003, I think we're the first state to have done that. And those rules go through the Royal Commission as well. So all of that being said, our biggest piece really does have to do with oil and gas and the oil and gas permitting. And we're the biggest state. We like being the biggest and we hope we continue being the biggest state for both production, rig count, um, about a third of the country's oil and the fourth of the country's natural gas right now and production-wise is coming out of Texas. So we have a big job in the state, and we are happy to have good rules and regulations in place for that. Wow, that is a, a, a so much really great information. First of all, um, is it, just, just for my own personal clarification, uh, the, the chairman, chair people, 
chair anyway for your position chairman. we just say chairman that's right man or woman we just call it a chairman it's just easier <laughs> right so but you're elected by the people right for a term of six years so if you're in your ninth that's year right. you you this you you would have uh won two terms then so that's first that's of all con- congratulations that's kind of that's kind of a neat, just something kind of a side note there. But um, when you were talking about the carbon capturing and carbon emissions, it kind of triggered in my brain too a lot on the website that I'd seen regarding environmentally friendly practices or even like as you were mentioning the strip mining and whatnot. Once those are done, I had seen uh, also on the website talking about ways to kind of bring it back into nature. How How is it that, that uh, the Railroad Commission goes about uh, maintaining the environmental factor? Look, we think our two reasons that and our our the reason we do our job first and foremost is to prevent waste. So that was one of the reasons we started regulating oil and gas back 101 years ago, right in Texas, as it was discovered, and protect the environment. Those are our two priorities at our agency. And so when we talk about protecting the environment, one of the things that we have and have had for years and years and have some of the some of the oldest ones and the best practices, we believe, are rules and regulations, right? And we think they're one common sense rules and regulations. We try not to overregulate. We try to work with companies and industry, but we also make sure you follow our rules and regulations. To that end, we have inspectors. So we have roughly on the oil and gas side about 150 give or take inspectors just for the oil and gas division. We have another about 30 people who are on our division for coal and coal mines, and then about 70 people in our pipeline division. So uh, almost half of our agency, a good third to half of our agency is inspectors that are out in the field every day doing inspections. Last year, we did over almost 200,000 inspections in the state, across the state. And so it's a lot. We have a lot that we do in the state. We're a big piece of the state, and it's a big state. And so we have inspectors and and now 10 field offices across the state. And so our goal is, one, to make sure you're following the rules. And we try to have best practices and are real transparent as much as, as much as we can with our old technology, I'll get into that in a minute, but um, with what our rules and regulations are and when you're applying, when you're looking at things, we have a pretty vibrant website that we're continuing to improve. But and we want you to have the opportunity to be in compliance, right? So we go out, we do an inspection, you've got, you've got a violation. We want to give you an opportunity to, to fix that violation. If you don't, we are then going to come back and fine you, send you to enforcement. And every month we collect between $500,000 to $1 million in penalties a month. Um, and if you don't follow our rules as an oil and gas operator, you could have drilled a $5 million horizontal well. And if you aren't in compliance, we'll shut you down. And that's a lot of money that you are, that you could have put into uh, under, into the ground and then not be able to produce. And we do that sometimes 15 to 20 times a year. We will shut people down until they come in compliance and take their operating license away. So we take it very seriously. It's part of the reason we we are around as an agency. That being said, we also want to work with industry. That's the philosophy we have in Texas. We think industry has a lot of smart ideas, a lot of innovation, 
and generally are good operators across the state and want to do the right thing. So it's a good balancing act, I think, in, in Texas of how we how we regulate in the state. Nice. Sounds like you have a, a pretty well-balanced system kind of put in place. Um, I guess before there was COVID, there was a lot of stuff going on when it came to climate activism and uh, the ESG. Is that how how did that affect Texas? I guess that would have been toward the beginning of last year, the end of 2019, right? So we've seen the climate activism, I think, has been going on. Really, I was sitting in the seat during the Obama administration. We've had it an interesting administration during the Trump administration who better appreciated that states ought to be regulating instead of coming from the federal government. And now we're seeing a new administration go in this week. And I think we're going to see back to where we were with the Obama world. So we are prepared and looking at that. Uh, But I think what we found as an agency, frankly, and working with industry, people again are trying to do the right thing. But if you read the news, obviously you, seen that Texas has some challenges with flaring. If you look at Texas, and I say it's our friends in New Mexico and North Dakota, we've had a lot of production pretty quickly, specifically in two fields in Texas. And so flaring and getting that infrastructure built so we don't flare has been and will continue to be in the short term a challenge for us. One of the things that we've been doing as an agency are a couple things. One, we've improved some data sheets and some and to get more information. We are, uh, I keep alluding to our technology, we are on a mainframe with Fortran for a lot of our data. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it, we've had it for about 40 years. So we're in the process of upgrading that those systems because we want to be more transparent and what we found is, is as we've upgraded our data and our information um, in our data collection, we're also more efficient as an agency. So that has been one of our priorities is to continue to gather better data, work with our sister agency, Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, that does a lot of uh, does all of our air emission uh, work in this state. So we're all on a page so we can make sure we're presenting good data and we have good information. But look, flaring is a priority to figure out how we do it better and do a lot less of it in the state. We've talked about it a lot for the last 18 months in Texas. I don't think anybody has the magic answer to it, but we've seen industry first and foremost step up and start changing what they're doing. And we're glad about that and being better in compliance for where we are in rules and and realizing that that should be a priority for them as well. And uh, I think you'll continue to see that conversation develop and evolve. I know industry's got some work groups as well. And again, it goes back to that balancing act for us. We have all most of the large operators in the country have a, some position in Texas, but our lifeblood historically has been smaller operators as well. And so we don't want to have too onerous rules that small operators don't have an opportunity to get to be in compliance and continue to operate where the larger operators obviously can put a lot more money to it. And it's a, a huge priority for them as well. So how we continue to work with companies recognizing that we need to have best practices in this state because people look at us is is a real challenge for us and we continue to work through that absolutely that that does sound like a, a challenge of its own 
Um, so it was alluded to me that something almost happened earlier this year, and I'm not entirely certain what, but it sounded kind of ominous. Was there something going on toward the beginning, middle of the year that uh, that wasn't so good? <laughs> so, sorry, you're talking about proration, I think, for, for us at the Maybe um, I'm I'm not entirely certain. It was it was alluded that something had gone on, and I'm I couldn't quite figure it out in looking at the at the sites and the information in front of me. I thought maybe. So so Texas, you know, if you go back to where we were a year ago in the country, right? We were all kind of rocking along, knowing COVID may be out there, and it really hit Texas at about, I call it spring break because I happen to be on spring break with my daughter. And so uh, mid-March for Texas, we uh, realized COVID was going to be a bigger challenge in this in this state than anybody had hoped and obviously in the country and now around the world. And so we have been producing in this state 4.2 million barrels of oil a day, plus another almost would get us almost to 5 million barrels a day. If you looked at our, our liquids, um, we were at all time highs in 2019 and we were watching industry slightly reset in the fact that, um, that there was a lot of production going on. They were trying to make sure they could sell it on the worldwide market. And so two things happened simultaneously in the oil and gas industry. If you go back about 10 months ago, one, OPEC got to do their own fight, Saudi Arabia and Russia. And the second thing that happened was COVID. And so between those two, obviously the price of oil starts dropping and we see a lot more challenges in the state. And at that point, again, go back to mid-March last year, we had a couple of companies file an a, a application for us to look at uh prorationing in the state again. So let me give you a little background on prorationing. When I said we were what OPEC is based on, if you think about OPEC, they tell their membership how much they can produce. Now, they don't ever keep to it. That's another problem. But how much they can produce a month and sell. So, right, that's kind of the basics of OPEC. So, okay. um, and, and that's what Texas as the Lord, at the time, the largest operator in the country and frankly in the world, up through the early 1970s, we had our individual operators come in monthly and we would say, you can produce this much out of that well or out of that field or, or and it kind of varied. But basically, you can produce that much and we we would tell you how much each well could produce. And so we had done, we did that for years. And it started way back in the 30s, went all the way through the 40s when Texas was sending over about 25% of our oil went overseas during World War II to um, help our, our, our allies during that time period. And we did it up through 1973. And then obviously you had other states come on, start having higher production like our friends to the north in Oklahoma and New Mexico and other states start really having a lot of oil and gas production. And as you get into the 1970s, you now have Saudi Arabia and some of those countries come online as well. And so we at that point said, you can produce as much as you want. And I, that's where most state, I think every state is in the country, the free market took over. So we, as we are watching 
the price of oil go down, the demand in the country and in the world dropped from 100 million barrels a day to roughly 80 million barrels a day. Then again, there was this application for us to look and figure out if we should be doing proration again. And uh, which right at the same time, we're shutting down for COVID and Right at the same time, the entire country is trying to figure out what we're going to do, and we're all stuck at home. We had two months of a very active conversation with a lot of information come in from all sectors of the oil and gas industry, whether you were a, a operator, a pipeline company, or you were somebody who was selling it on the open market. Uh, a lot of people give us information, and we had an 11-hour hearing, Zoom hearing, probably was the largest hearing at that point. Now we're all used to Zoom, but that was a new technology for a lot of us back in April, and so um, now we're all used to it. But that that was – and we had people from all over the world literally watching to see what we were going to do as an, as an agency at that point with – you know, we, again, 5 million barrels of oil and 100 million barrel a day market was not a lot, but it was a lot. If you put all of the United States together, it was more like 11 million barrels total. And our friends in Canada were watching to see what we were doing. Our friends in Mexico were watching to see what we were doing. So uh, we had this hearing. We appreciated it. We took a lot of information. I took 15 pages of notes in 11 hours. And for those of you who were watching or paying attention, I got up total of 30 minutes in that 11 hours. That's the only breaks we took. Y'all got to wander around. We sat and took notes and we're serious about it because it was a serious conversation. And it wasn't just big guys against small. It was a very split conversation of people that I would not have thought were on one side or the other. And we appreciated the data. And about a week after, about within two weeks after we had the conversation, the price of oil went to a negative 37. And so at that, within a week, actually. And wow. so at that point, I think there was a recognition that this, which had never happened, obviously, before in my lifetime, in a lifetime, and I'd like to see it never happen again, by the way. But I think at that point, there was recognition from this agency that the free market really was going to work. And so we chose not to do proration in this a- from this agency. And I think had we, that other states would have followed suit, right? Because um, like I said, we had a lot of people, we had 29,000 people watch our hearing from every state in the union, but Hawaii. So maybe I need to all go, we all need to go to Hawaii for a break or something. And, um, and South Korea was our second largest country that watched us. I don't know what goes on in South Korea, but apparently there's some opportunity. They're watching the oil and gas markets in Texas. So interesting. Uh, it, it was interesting. We weren't sure why, but we had, you know, countries all over. And I think there were, what we would have done, the rest of the country would have followed suit. But again, I think the philosophy overall at the agency is free markets work. And, and as we got to May, you know, we're now seeing that that's a, a true statement overall. And so uh, we're, we're glad we made the right decision. We felt like we were at the time, but, you know, there was a lot of moving parts in a really quick, short time period. And I had somebody asked me last week, how would you have done it? Because to be really honest, we had not prorationed since 1973. The people who were at the agency and were in the industry in Texas during that time were either 
older and retired or dead. And I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just been a long time since we've done it. So we would have probably done it by field. And that would have been really challenging for us um, and really challenging, I think, for the industry. So uh, we are glad we're past that conversation today and instead have tried to use other rules and waivers that we've been allowed to um, look at as an agency to try to keep this industry alive during the short period, meaning giving them more opportunity to file things, giving them more opportunity to um, waive some fees so they could put their resources other places and um, and keep people employed today. Oh, yeah. Every little bit helps, as I'm sure it you does. Do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and and then especially, as you had mentioned earlier, with the uncertainty of of some things kind of going on in the current situation for our country, things that could potentially be changing. Do you think that there's any possibility that that conversation might come back to the table again, depending on what might go on in the next couple of months? You know, I don't think proration conversation will come back where I do think we have some real challenges with where we go forward as an industry and frankly as a country is you know we we in texas i start out by saying we believe in common sense rules and regulations and that makes this industry very vibrant in texas it's 30 to it's about a third of our state's economy is based in directly and indirectly in oil and gas and that's a lot for one state but it's true for a lot of states across the country that they're getting a percentage of their dollar of their state income and frankly federal income from um, oil and gas and energy and so i think as you're watching the biden administration walk in the door in their stated philosophy about carbon neutral getting back in the paris accord um potentially shutting down the keystone xl pipeline which by the way we've been open our part for business and permitted in texas since you know i think 2008 9 you know we it's been open on our uh, open on the southern end and i think doing business yeah right and doing business with our friends in canada to me, makes a lot more sense than having to go continue to get heavy oil from Venezuela, or which we can't now, or Saudi Arabia or other countries. So, um, you know, I think that those conversations that allowing the states to do what the states do best versus the federal government telling us all what to do and choosing an energy source is not a is a real difference of philosophy and hopefully the conversation doesn't get as stilted as it did during the Obama administration but I'm not hopeful today and look Texas is one of those states I told you third of our state's economy is oil and gas but we have energy sources of everything so we have nuclear oil natural gas we're the largest solar state in the entire country so we believe and we no solar and when between those two were the largest alternative energy state in the entire country. So we believe in all of it and it works well. Um, picking one, we think the Texas model works a lot better than the California model. We don't have rolling brownouts. We don't tell you to turn your air conditioner off. We aren't, don't believe that realistically we're going to have no new cars th- that you can buy in 2000 and 2030. We have common sense approaches to and that's why our economy continues to grow and people are moving to Texas. And I think that philosophy is where 
and as we try to recover out of COVID, would do this next administration well to look at versus the New York, California models. Well said. So I, we, I would be inclined to agree. It's well said. <laughs> I like it. You know, we hope that the door stays open because we, yeah. we see partnerships with other countries like Mexico has got its own challenges, but can't our friends in Canada, you know, other countries who see the value in Texas and Texas oil and gas in the United States, you know, we we see that value. Taiwan today is taking um, or it's taken its first uh, shipment of LNG from Chenier that's coming out of out of the United States. These are countries that want to have clean energy we're using and developing clean energy. People who argue that we don't have clean energy, they haven't looked at the fact that our methane emissions have gone way down in the last 10 years, not because of overregulation, but because industry's seen the value and has put the technologies in place that they need to without being told to versus Russia that, or China that frankly don't use any good technology to figure to help their air quality, right? We're doing the right things in this country. And I think that's where, and our flaring's way down, frankly, in the last nine months in this, not, we don't think just because we aren't, we aren't developing, but just because companies are seeing the value in that as well. So I think we're producing a lot of cleaner energy in this country, natural gas being a leader, but oil, we're not, even if you look at projections of any company or any group worldwide that I've seen in the last 10 years, oil and natural gas are going to be part of the energy package for the entire world for the next 50 to 100 years and up to more than 50% of the the energy package for the entire world. It's not going away. So having the ability to have good innovation with common sense rules helps those that new technology that continues to keep the environment clean get developed. Wonderful. Wow. Well, okay. I see that I've, I've taken up nearly all of the time that I've, I've asked from you and I, I don't want to, I know you're a busy lady. So I guess you've mentioned um, plans, you know, for, to, to be able to get some updated technology so that you can have better data. Flaring is still a top priority, even though, uh, you know, that has been decreasing kind of sounds like you're on top of things. Is there anything else that you think is, is pertinent or that you'd like to discuss about going into this year? You know, I think the biggest challenge that all states are going to have is how and the federal government, obviously, is how you're going to budget. And so and how we plan for the future. And again, to me, it's knowing oil and gas is going to be there. Knowing energy is important. It's the it people people look at me and say, well, I'm not in the energy industry. Why does it matter? And what I remind people is if they didn't have oil and gas, they wouldn't have a computer. They wouldn't have their iPhone. You wouldn't have all the medical equipment we're using today for COVID and or it's allergy season in Austin, Texas. So you wouldn't have your allergy medicine too. Oil and gas touches you every single day. It's a component of your life, whether you drive or not, it's a component of your life. And so having good rules and regulations that make sense, I think is what's going to be important instead of choosing an energy source never works in this country, I found. And so I think if people recognize and continue to have good conversations and make sure that the regulatory body of your state 
is protecting the environment versus top down from the federal government, it seems to work a lot better. I like that's it. what we hope to see happen. Not hopeful, we hope to see happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where Texas will continue to be a leader in that respect. So come to Texas, but bring your good ideals, not your ultra liberal ones, please. We appreciate that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You are such a wonderful spokeswoman for the industry. You have so much great information. I'm really glad to have gotten the opportunity to talk with you today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I look forward to visiting again soon. If anybody's got any questions, please contact us at the Royal Commission. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, friends and listeners, that was Chairman Christy Craddock with the Texas Railroad Commission. If you like the information, if you'd like to find out more, don't hesitate to get on to rrc.state.tx.us. Or you can also web search Texas Railroad Commission, uh, but they have lots of really great information up on their website. If you would like to know more about Christy Craddock herself, you can certainly go to ChristyCraddock.com. She's got all kinds of wonderful information up there as well as uh, many things that she's been a part of working on in regards to the industry and and so, so much great stuff up there. So by all means, if you have any interest, want to find out more, like I said, go to rrc.state.com. .tx.us or you can go to christycraddock.com to find out more about Chairman Craddock herself. Loved all the information that she brought with her today. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And if you did, be sure to check out the rest of what the crudelife.com has to offer. Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Kathleen Scama, Western Energy Alliance. Oh, thank you for joining us here today. It's been a busy couple of weeks. Wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about the new president, Joe Biden. Of course, right away, he signs 15, 16 executive orders, a couple of them directly impacting the oil and gas industry, specifically the western part of the the Rocky Mountain region and the western United States when it comes to some of the federal land. So Kathleen Scama, thanks for coming on today to talk a little bit about this house life. In, are you in Denver today? I am, and it's snowing nicely. Snowing in Dakota here, and it's falling horizontally. Do you got vertical snow or horizontal snow? We have kind of a nice light snow, so nothing <laughs> horizontal. That sounds a little bit miserable. It's That's North Dakota for you. Okay, let's get to uh, the uh, executive orders now. Uh, first off, uh, if you want to go the federal lease, I imagine that's probably the most um, prominent one, at least on your agenda. But we also have the Paris Accord, too, so I wanted to ask your opinion on that one as well. But Let's start with the federal lease, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Well, we expect tomorrow during President Biden's climate day that he is going to announce a one-year ban on leasing on federal lands. And that will hit the West pretty much exclusively. Um, University of Wyoming professor did a study um, that showed that banning leasing and development on federal lands would hit Western economies by $44 billion in lost gross domestic product and 72,000 jobs annually. And that's by just by the end of Biden's first term. So uh, out West, where 97% or more of the federal production is located, 
Um, the states that would be hit hardest, of course, are North Dakota, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and Montana. So I think the president has made a calculation that he has got to uh, pay off his climate activists um, that got him elected, and he is sacrificing jobs and economic opportunity in the West. Curious on your thoughts on the symbolism behind this particular executive order the first day in office. There was a lot of talk about banning the industry outright. He then switched it to transition. His first day in office, I, I, I'm not one to speculate, but I do wonder how it would have been received if he would have came out and said something more of a transition word or an olive branch as opposed to an outright you know, this, what we're talking about with the federal lease ban. I, I thought he missed a real golden opportunity to uh, give an olive branch to the oil and gas industry. And I, this, this seemed to me pretty direct is all I'm getting at. I don't know if you have any comments on that or not, but. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas. And uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. Now, there are moderate Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin in West Virginia, um, some Texas Democrats who are uh, congressmen. Um, there's some in the, the California oil patch as well um, that are moderate. But overall, the party is, is has moved far away from the working class and has decided that the coastal elites are the, the base of their party. So the coastal elites demand that uh, climate change be addressed, and they don't really care if Western jobs are sacrificed. They don't care if rural economies across the West uh, are pretty much decimated. Um, they look at federal lands as if they're Yellowstone and Yosemite. They go from San Francisco and New York, and they go to Moab to ride their uh, mountain bikes, or they go to Yellowstone to look at geysers uh, or rock climb in you know, Yosemite. They don't look at the hundreds of millions of acres of working, working landscapes across the West that are suitable for ranching and mining and timber and, uh, of course, energy development. So they look at public lands and they see an opportunity for the government to exert more control on them, which they certainly do. And uh, that's, that's just where they're going to focus their efforts first. Uh, you know, right on day one, President Biden announced he was going to revoke the permit for Keystone. He was going to stop leasing in, uh, stop moving forward in Anwar up in Alaska. Um, it's taken them a little bit longer in the Interior Department to figure out exactly what they're going to do. Um, they're going to announce tomorrow, likely, at least that's all the intel points to, is that they're going to announce a one-year leasing ban. Um, that one-year leasing ban, I think, would eventually become permanent, at least through the end of the Biden administration. So Western Energy Alliance plans to be in court challenging that. Um, according to the Mineral Leasing Act, the federal government shall hold leases in every oil and gas state where there is interest in leasing, and they shall do that quarterly. So it won't be too many weeks until they miss their quarterly deadline, and then we will be prepared to challenge them in court. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon has come out and said he's going to challenge the Biden administration if this continues down the path that's going. 
Have you talked to him at all? Are you guys forming alliances in the Western states beyond, um, you know, your organization? I mean, is it is it is it time to get to those safety and uh, strength and numbers things? I guess because I'm seeing more and more people that are are coming out, and it sounds like it's it's really geared up for quite a fight. Well, you know, we take the alliance part of our name very seriously. So we're always working with members of Congress, policymakers across the West, like governors. Um, other industry groups, other business groups, civic groups, counties. So, you know, Alliance is part of what we do at Western Energy Alliance. So, yes, we are not the only ones who are disturbed by this uh, decimation of the oil and natural gas industry. I mean, it's not really about the industry. It's about livelihoods across the West. People, you know, working class people, hardworking people are employed in the industry. The uh, tax revenue that comes from oil and natural gas development is particularly important in Wyoming, North Dakota, New Mexico, where large parts of the state budgets come from oil and natural gas. So when you ban oil and gas leasing and development, you're taking hundreds of millions of dollars out of states. And um, that funding is hard to replace. You know, that, that represents schools and roads and public security, all kinds of public services. Another thing, too, that I think the president is missing is that oil and natural gas is pretty much the sole source of funding for conservation on public lands. So he is potentially putting at risk $1.3 billion of revenue uh, that goes into national parks and other public lands, and that comes from onshore oil and natural gas development, and he's risking another $900 million of conservation funding that comes from offshore development. And he's also planning to, uh, you know, stop offshore. So, you know, he's drying up revenue for states. He's drying up revenue for conservation. I don't think he's really thought through the implications of his actions, or maybe he has, and he doesn't necessarily care that much because he's got to placate the environmental climate activists. That's, you know, that's what he's going to do tomorrow on his climate action day. It's interesting because, you know, Obama, a lot of that was said towards Obama that he was going to, you know, get rid of oil and gas or start the whole renewable revolution, that sort of thing. But he saw how much he needed it in the national economy to where, wasn't it exports? That, that It was under his administration lifting exports, which in turn was beneficial for the industry. So you would have thought that Biden would have learned a little bit about how the industry works to put it on this crash course like it is. I mean, drying up resources is a great way to put it. When you were talking, I, I started thinking, you know, you were mentioning the uh, funding for the public lands and conservation. Well, the first thing I thought of was Colorado. And, and just because it's your, you know, your backyard, they got a one-two punch going on because they're getting this from the state side and then turn around and now you've got this whole federal part too. Are they are, are they getting a one-two punch in Colorado? I mean, with the federal lands there, is there not much drilling on federal lands in Colorado? Well, you know, the primary oil play in Colorado is on the Front Range, and there's not a lot of public lands on the Front Range. A little bit, but it's not that significant. It's the West Slope of Colorado that um, is predominated by public lands, and that's where the oil and natural gas development on public lands takes place. So the you know, that 
part, the Peons Basin of Western Colorado has kind of been in the doldrums for some time uh, because it is so dominated by federal lands and it's a pretty dry natural gas basin. So um, certainly this will continue to be devastating to the economy of Western Colorado. Oh, that breaks my heart. I love Grand Junction, Frutia, all those areas. Rifle, rifle. Oh, lost my heart in rifle. That's such a beautiful place. Um, interesting out there because a lot of natural gas. So, I mean, natural gas is, is so much of the future and it's a foundation and a bridge and everything else. So I, I hope that uh, they they get to their senses out there in Western Colorado and understand how much that economy is needed out there. I mean, I understand they have some ag, but not even close, like, like the oil and gas revenues, but sorry. That's I, right. Well, you know, you, uh, you, I, I, I fault you all up in the Bakken and now in the Permian in New Mexico, because there's just so much associated gas off of our oil wells in uh, both states that it's really hard to drill a strictly natural gas well. And certainly when you add in the public lands factor where it just takes so much longer and costs so much more on federal lands, uh, the peons has been hurting for quite some time. Hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned the Paris uh, Paris Agreement. Uh, we'll kind of conclude the interview here. Uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, you, you you mentioned it a few times, but uh, just kind of. No, I didn't. You did. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I mentioned uh, it at all. <laughs> oh, I thought you did. I, I apologize. <laughs> nope. Um, you mentioned um, anyway. Uh, just how, how do you see that playing into this? You know, because so much of that is tied to the fossil fuel industry now. Is I, I understand it's a political chip, but at the end of the day, those seem to be important these days. Well, you know, natural gas is the number one reason the United States has reduced more greenhouse gas emissions than wind and solar combined. We are the number one reason that the United States has reduced more greenhouse gas emissions. I'll say that again. That's because when you use more natural gas for electricity generation, um, because natural gas is so clean burning, it has fewer greenhouse gas emissions than coal, um, we've actually... Um, really been a solution for climate change. We really significantly reduced greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the left doesn't want to hear that. The environmental groups don't want to hear that. They want to shut us down. They want to replace us with wind and solar. But the problem is wind and solar are not 24-7. And so that's why even though wind and solar have grown um, in, in the amount of generation capacity, um, we still beat them when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions because we're, you know, we just provide more electricity uh, and we do it reliably. So really, natural gas and oil will continue to be part of our energy mix for, you know, until 2050 by any um, reliable energy estimate, including from, you know, international estimates. And um, probably much further beyond, but most projections go out to 2050. So when we hear President Biden talk about going net zero by 2030, you know, that's a great soundbite, but we don't have the technology and alternative fuels that uh, would get us there. So it's easy for a politician to just say, all we need to do is wave the, the policy wand, but that's not exactly how things work until there's a replacement that does everything oil and natural gas do 24-7, um, you know, saying net zero by 2035 when President Biden will be long out of office is a great soundbite, but not really reality. 
You'd like the uh, interview I just had where I kind of went off the deep end about the media, the way they covered that story. Uh, Biden mentioned about putting electric cars in there, and they had 15 paragraphs about the, the goal he has with the electric cars, and then the same eight paragraphs on climate change and all this other stuff. And then the last paragraph was that he doesn't have a plan. And I thought, well, if, if you're in the media, that's the story, that he doesn't have a plan. He's just got a crazy idea because there's nothing to, anyway. So I kind of went off on that a little bit. That was my uh, tangent on that. Um, uh, get, getting back to the Western Energy Alliance, uh, last time we had you on, you guys were looking for, I think, a membership director or a business development director or something like that. Have you guys filled that? And if so, let's uh, give them a plug. Sure, we did. We just uh, had a new business development person start uh, a couple of weeks ago, Sally Hellingstad. She used to be the executive director of the Denver Petroleum Club and then was at Whiting Petroleum for a little while. So we're excited to have her on board. Oh, she's been on the show before. Great. Oh, congratulations. Oh, great. Yeah, I think she's even a North Dakota girl, if my memory serves me yeah, right. Yeah, she is. Okay. She is originally from North Dakota, yes. But she's spent a good good amount of time in uh, Colorado, so that's probably her new home now. Who knows? I mean, it's hard to leave your home home, but... Um, well, congratulations on that. I'm sure she'll do a great job, and um, good luck to you guys. Are you guys, um, I suppose, strength in numbers more than ever this year, so get, get signed up with the Western Energy Alliance. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure being on your show today. Appreciate it. Well, you built a bridge and I hammer on the harmony After a hard week's work with a man, a mighty fine melody We were ready the rhyme and rhythm to chord each note and every measure Jason Space. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. 
I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. Makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota, United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lance Medlin from Meridian Energy Group. They are spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery down in Texas, and soon to be an announcement coming out of Oklahoma. In just a moment, part of our exclusive interview with Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group right here on the Crude Life Daily Update. Well, part of it is brand green, so it's it's um if you read the equator principles by the equator you know adopted by the equator principle of financial industries the EPFIs um it's a set of principles that set expectations for new capital being deployed into into the energy market so that is that's a grouping of words on paper uh, for Meridian we took that and we adopted it into our environmental and social management plan but through our brand green. Uh, ESG portfolio, we set those expectations into the real world by imp- by imposing them upon our contractors. And imposing them is a pretty hard word, a harsh word. It sounds more like a sentence than a uh, than a gift. Uh, but brand green is our is our transformation from the expectation to the reality. If you want to do business with Meridian, you must meet these environmental and social expectations. It's an it's an auditing. It's a due diligence process. We want to make sure that the partners that we have are doing the right thing as well and that they're maturing their ESG portfolio. And a lot of this, uh, you know, when we first announced this, um, we had a, we had a mixture of feedback. Uh, some, some of our more mature contractors had already developed their own ESG programs. Uh, take McDermott, for example. They've got a mature ESG program. Uh, some, of the, some of our other contractors and partners hadn't matured to that point yet. And the initial thought was that they would be somewhat opposed to that transformation, but we have not dealt with a single contractor or partner yet who has not met it with positive reception. I see the same pattern. I see the same roadmap that we took HSC. I see that now for ESG as well. And that was Lance Medlin with Meridian Energy Group spearheading the Davis Refinery in the Bakken, the Walton Refinery in Texas, and a third to be added in Oklahoma. To listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of social media energy enthusiasts at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, 
poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard.